This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Because I've got jet lag, I woke up in the middle of the night and had a great new name for Twitter. I think it should be called Blurt, because that's what people just do. They just blurt out complete bollocks on Twitter <laughs> and get you know, a million followers for talking about Equity Minds! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, or should I say, welcome to Equity Mates. If there is one thing to know, it is that the big money is not in the buying and selling, but in the waiting. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. And Ren, who am I? Uh, Bryce, you are Charlie Munger. Yes. Um, which, who, who we sadly heard uh, passed away the age of 99. We'll talk more about him uh, in a minute, but I need to pause on you, what you just gave up as an introduction there. <laughs> Very quick. At the start of this journey with ChatGPT, where ChatGPT translated your introductions, it, you had a script and it was translating them. Yes. Um, into different uh, di- dialects or in- inflections or, or anything. Now it's literally just dropping someone else's quote in the middle of a pretty basic introduction well let me tell you that i did some um live editing there because it actually said hi i'm charlie munger <laughs> <laughs> yeah i w- probably would have got it uh anyway so I, and we, then i cut the rest out so anyway yes we're, we're in we're into december everyone is winding down for the year including <laughs> chat gpt i yes. guess it is becoming more human like struggling it's uh, really struggling no that's that's fair enough we all struggle into <laughs> december but we can't struggle today because we've got a lot that we want to cover. Uh, you spoke uh, for the last time this year with your mentor, Henry Jennings. Mm-hmm. We're going to answer a listener question about share registries. Mm-hmm. Not the sexiest part of the investing journey, but an important one and one that it, once we understand it, we can get right pretty quickly. But first of all, Bryce, uh, there's a lot happening in markets and in the news. As in- always. Inflation numbers. Alan Kohler is doing the rounds talking about housing, yep. but there is nothing bigger, nothing more important to talk about than the death of a true giant in investing, and that is Charlie Munger. Yes. Now, before we kick in, a disclaimer <laughs> to say, <laughs> huge wind up. Sorry, I Ren. Know, come uh, on. Legals are important. Uh, <laughs> that while we are licensed, we're not aware of your financial circumstances, so any information on this show is for entertainment and education purposes only. Any advice is general. Now, Ren. Okay. Yes. Good. The death Char- of a giant. Charlie, Charlie would Munger. have appreciated that disclaimer. Yes, he would have. So, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but it was sad to wake up on Wednesday morning to uh, to hear the news that Charlie Munger, vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, um, died at the age of ninety nine. Now, poor guy was shy of a ton by one month. 
probably the first and last time anyone's called Charlie Munger poor. <laughs> Very well, true. At least, you know, since he grew up. But Yes, he was, his birthday was the 1st of January. He would have been 100 on the really? 1st of January 2024. So unfortunately missed the ton by just over a month. But yeah, it, it was sad news and it's uh, rippled around the world. We were very, very fortunate, Ren, to see him at the Berkshire Hathaway annual general meeting in Omaha yeah. in May. And he was he was still sharp, he like was he sharp. was old, but he was in a wheelchair, but he was his mind was sharp. He was. He was very sharp, very witty, and I think that's what he will certainly be remembered for, along with some pretty notable quotes that I think a lot of value investors over the last 60 years have kind of hinged to and really uh, incorporated into their investing. Favourite Charlie Munger quote? I actually really love the one that ChatGPT put in the intro, which was around... Uh, the money's the, made in waiting. The money is made in waiting. But one that I always think about when I talk about my leveraged ETFs is he says there's three things that'll send a man broke. Liquor, ladies, and leverage. And him and Warren hate leverage in yeah, the stock market. Yeah, yeah. Fun fact to take you behind the curtain of the book writing process, we put that in our first book and our publishers told us to take that quote out. Yes. Yeah, yeah I understand why. Yeah. Yes. What's your thoughts? My favourite manga quote, every time you see EBITDA, think bullshit. Bullshit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. EBITDA is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation and amortisation. Yeah. Some uh, companies, especially fast-growing startups, will use that as a proxy for profit. Yes, he was a very big proponent for companies, and rightly so, but just being transparent and truthful and I mean, just it, seeing uh, through the bullshit that they try and put in a lot of their annual yeah. reports. The, the metric does have some merits. It, it, it's a kind of a proxy for cash flow, but for Warren and Charlie, it's a proxy for bullshit. So, yeah. yeah. But when we went to Berkshire, when we went to Omaha, it was a religious ceremony. That was crazy. You know, there is like interge intergenerational shareholders there. You know, there are seven-year-olds getting up and asking questions and saying, my parents have had me investing in this since I, you know, was born. Kind of reminds me of your start to investing with your, your dad. Yeah, well, we didn't your, buy Berkshire. <laughs> didn't buy Berkshire. <laughs> you would wish you had because I came across this chart. Growth of $100 invested in Berkshire Hathaway versus the S&P 500 from 1978 to today. If you'd put $100 into the S&P 500, uh, just an ETF in 1978, held it until today, in, reinvested the dividends, $16,527. Pretty good mm -hmm. from 100 bucks. Mm -hmm. You'd be happy with that. If you'd put that $100 in Berkshire, $396,282. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Serious outperformance. A lot of the heavy lifting done in the earlier days, I think. Um, uh, yeah. Like yeah. probably the, not in the last decade, I would say, but. Yeah. I think it's, it's a real lesson. Very well. in, it's a real lesson in the most recent decades that outperformance by a couple of percentage points a year adds up. Is meaningful. Yeah. 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 But yeah, they, they early days, they were earning like 100% returns in years. Yes. And stuff like that. Yeah. 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 So it'll be interesting to see how they – I saw another uh, article this morning that said I think four of the board members of Berkshire have all died in the last two years. They're all in their 80s and, 80s and 90s. So a real changing of the guard is, is coming and obviously Warren is not last man standing but, you know, when, when he unfortunately does uh, – does also disappear disappear when he unfortunately does pass away as well it'll be the fresh face now i think it's notable because the, the question has always been what's going to happen to the share price when warren and charlie die and the day after charlie died uh the share price was down 0.4 percent mm. so 
I think the market is aware and has been aware for a long time that Warren and Charlie are in their 90s and this company, if you're investing in it, you're investing in it for beyond those two. And they've built a business that should be incredibly resilient just because of the way they structure it, the lack of control or the lack of influence they exert in the operating entities, the fact that uh, Todd and Ted are already doing a lot of the investing rather than Warren and Charlie. Like they, they've succession planned this business. Mm. And so the market, there wasn't a big sell-off. No. I imagine when Warren dies, there will be a bit of a sell-off because he's just a bigger name and more synonymous with the company. Um, but I, I found that notable. Yeah. Yeah. But God, the uh, incoming CEO is a bit of a... Greg Abel. Yeah, he's a bit of a, uh, he a wet was, blanket, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. He was an <laughs> underwhelming presence uh, at when we were at Omaha. It seemed like, yeah. Anyway, let's keep moving. Other big news this week, closely following the death of Charlie Munger, was the inflation news here in Australia. <laughs> good news, Ren, a good news story. All right, tell me about it. <laughs> inflation fell to 4.9% in October compared to the year earlier, the for annual the, number. For the 12 months to October, 4.9%. Yep. Down from 5. 6% and beating the market expectation, which was 5.2%. So good news. Good news. What drove it? Uh, they say overall it was easing in some of the consumer goods price pressures because there's now less demand on consumer goods because consumers are getting a little bit squeezed. Okay. If you look under the number, there is still plenty of parts of the economy that has pretty high inflation numbers, though. And it, uh, it is still a concern for the RBA. Insurance and financial services inflation sits at 8.6%. Gas and other household fuels at 13%. And electricity at 10%. So the RBA is more concerned with some of these stickier parts of the inflation in the economy. And we spoke about this last week on the show. So whilst the headline number is down, there's still a way to go. Now, the market does expect that because... Uh, We've seen this fall to 4.9%. The RBA is expected to hold interest rates at its final meeting of the year tomorrow. And then they they get back into the boardroom in February. So fingers crossed, bit of a respite coming, but yeah. So overall, it's good news that inflation is coming down. As you said, there are a few basket items that are still rising. Um, food came down, lamb down 9.3% over the past 12 months, beef down 4.1%, clothing and footwear fell 1.5%. So a few categories down meaningfully, which is good to see. I mean, the question is what the trend is going to be. You know, now that we're starting to see some rain, uh, like a lot of farmers were selling all their beef and lamb, like their cattle and lamb because it was really dry. Now that we're getting rain, maybe they'll hold on on to them. Maybe that supply will tighten. Prices might go up there again. So it's just like, you know, it's like good news, but we're not out of the woods yet, I would say, in a lot of these categories. Definitely not. And the one category that we're all watching and that we are certainly not out of the woods on yet, rents climbed 6.6% in the 12 months to October 2023. Yeah. Better than it was. (laughs) Better than it was. I mean, if, but that's, yes. if that's the metric. Yeah, I, I guess that's probably the key takeaway from these inflation numbers. Mm. Better than it was. Yeah, which is what we need. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The so, number one item, though, with the largest inflation rent, postal services, oh, 15%. Really? Is that like some, uh, is that like a standard? Doesn't, gov- doesn't say. Just says postal services, 15%. 
followed by insurance. We could all live with postal services continuing to rise at 15% a year <laughs> if we get food, fuel definitely, and rent under control. Definitely. Bread at 10%. 10% up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of housing, I listened to two uh, podcasts, separate podcasts this morning, both interviewing Alan Kohler, talking about how he's going to fix the housing market. Mm-hmm. I think he's done a quarterly essay on that topic and he's doing the rounds. But it was interesting uh, speaking about the median price to medium salary. And, you know, back in his, when he bought a house and when his um, parents bought a house, it was sort of three or four times um, house price to median salary. Uh, And it's now seven or eight times. Mm. Um, 13 in Sydney, I think. Really? Mm. But I thought uh, he's basically drawn a line and he said anyone born after 1980 is screwed. Oh, wow. wow. So if you want to feel good about the morning. That <laughs> That's not fixing anything. Yeah. And so he was talking about uh, his policy fixes and I thought it was so funny because he was like, the first thing we need to decide is whether we want to fix it as a country. And like you made me like I paused it and I thought about it for a second. And like he's right. The, the biggest problem with this whole debate is that anyone born before 1980. That doesn't want to do they, anything Yeah, it. they don't want to do anything about it. Even government. The wealth effect is real, mm. but it's the most unproductive wealth that we can create because it's not like it's you can then like reinvest that wealth in the economy. You have to just trade up to another house and then mm. park that wealth in a bigger mm. house. I guess you can reinvest that wealth in the economy when you retire and you start downsizing. But yeah, worth. Uh, I'm going to pick up his quarterly essay. We should try and get him on the podcast next year um, because it's the. Biggest debate. It's the only thing that really is front of mind for people: inflation and housing. Yeah, it has been for for a decade. Mm. Yeah, he he reckons the biggest policy, not mistake, but the biggest policy driver wasn't negative gearing, wasn't you know record levels of immigration. Uh, it was the capital gains tax, and it's basically like you can draw a straight line, like you can see the inflection point on all the charts when Howard changed the capital gains rules in 1999 and 2000. Um, And I was just thinking like what madman or mad woman of a politician would be brave enough to go to every homeowner in Australia and say... You have to grandfather it. (laughs) Yeah, grandfather it, but then intergenerational equity problems. You would just have to say, I'm about to retire as prime minister and this is this is going to be my last act. Yes. This will be my gift <laughs> to happen. all future Won't politicians. <laughs> anyway, we'll try and get Alan on. And uh, if we can get a link to the article, uh, to the essay, we'll include it in show notes, but no guarantees. I mean, it's just the quarterly. We, we can oh, include it. Okay, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, to close out, uh, last week, Renu made a big call, which was that we won't see any rate cuts until 2025. We then encouraged the community to join the conversation in the Facebook discussion group, which we did. We had Tice Zendler in the discussion group come out and he said, I have a big call opposite to Ren's that inflation year on year will be less than 1% in June 2024, so halfway through next year, and there will be a four to six rate cuts next year. Four to six yes. rate Love cuts. Love a big call. Love a big call. Now, we are doing our bold predictions uh, wrap up, but we will be looking for some bold predictions early next year, so keep those big calls coming. Four to six rate cuts is bold, and I'm also going to say that if we have four to six rate cuts next year, that is a terrible situation. Yeah, we'll be. In a it lot means of it means that the economy is 
in dire straits. Yeah. So let's not hope that Tyson's right. Well, anyway, we love big let's calls. Hope that let's Tyson encourage right. more big calls. <laughs> let's encourage more big calls. We're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to take a call from Russell. Equity mates, if you know someone who wants to start investing but really cannot be bothered, then Don't Stress Just Invest is a four-step solution to show them how to get invested in the stock market and then get on with their life. Don't Stress Just Invest is available at Amazon, Booktopia, wherever books are sold. It makes the <laughs> perfect Christmas gift. Get a copy now. Welcome back to Equity Mates. We've just been uh, chatting the sad passing away of Charlie Munger and Australia's inflation numbers But as always, we love hearing from you. So if you have a question to put to us, hit us up at ask at equitymates.com. We have a question here on share registries from Russell. Hey team, Russell here. Big fan of the podcast, been listening for a year or so now and uh, have read your book, Get Started Investing and recently purchased Don't Stress, Just Invest. Now I have a question and I'm hoping you can help. Recently, I broke my investment journey virginity and purchased my first lot of ETFs via my brokerage account. I went with Vaz, pretty cliche I know, but after a few weeks after the purchase, I received a letter in the mail from Vanguard saying I need to supply them with my TFN via the Investor Center website or computer share. Do I need to do this or does my brokerage account look after the implications since I've already supplied them with my TFN or does both parties need to name my TFN? Could you please explain how this works? Cheers, guys. Keep up the good work, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for the question, Russell. Firstly, thank you also for supporting us with purchases of both books. Yeah, I would say firstly, congratulations on starting your investing journey. That too. (laughs) (laughs) I love to see it. So firstly, uh, Russell, share registries are an important part of the ecosystem. They act as currently. currently. <laughs> Why do you say currently? You want to get rid of them? I would think that over time, potentially some of the big product issuers could in-house yes. some of those yeah, services. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So share registries act as the administrator for the companies that you're buying shares in. If you think about all the shareholders on the registry for BHP, all the shareholders on the registry for VAS, the, the ETF that you've bought, Vanguard and BHP themselves don't want to be managing all of the information and the dividend preferences that you as a shareholder have times the millions of shareholders. So they employ these share registries to act as the middleman. So they are important for you because it's where you need to provide the information back to the company on how you want your dividends to be paid, what your latest mailing address is and those sorts of things. So the reason that you have received a letter from your share registry or from Vanguard saying you need to update your tax file number is because while there's no obligation to provide your tax file number to a share registry, if you don't, the share registry, when they're paying out dividends, will withhold tax because they don't know what your tax bracket is. They'll tax you at the highest marginal tax rate. Yes. And so by providing your tax file number, when dividends are paid it will be paid in accordance with your tax brackets. I also imagine when you go to MyGov and you fill out your tax return at the end of the year, the government will already have that information. Mm. So it just makes it easier. So the big, the confusing part here that I think a lot of people trip up on is that they think the broker is the one 
that organizes your dividends and puts in your dividend reinvestment plan and those sorts of things. It's the share registry that does that. Your brokerage account is often where your dividends will be paid into. Now, Bryce, not to make this more complex, but that's only part of the answer because this is where one of the biggest debates in Australian brokers comes into play chess sponsored yeah, well, v non-chess sponsored I specifically so didn't put that in because i think it's worth <laughs> i'll i'll touch on it quickly okay i'll do it in less than two minutes so chess sponsored is when the shares or the etf units are held in your name and then the registry wants your details because it's held in your name so the registry will hit you up and ask for your tax file number and your mailing address and stuff like that even if you've already put it in the brokers in your brokerage account if you're not chess sponsored, then the ETF units or the shares are held in the broker's name. Mm-hmm. And so then the um, registry doesn't want to know who you are because they just want to know who the broker is. And in that instance, the broker then manages all of the paying you the dividends and stuff like that. With non chess sponsored, you can't, because you're not speaking to the registry directly, you can't participate in things like dividend yeah. reinvestment plans. Yeah. Um, so. It's a choice uh, which one you want to go with. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Other people disagree, but let's not get into that debate because I said I'd do it in less than two minutes. But if some people are getting letters from registries and some people aren't and you're buying the same thing, it's probably because of what broker you're using. Absolutely. Superhero is a classic example. How much time did I take? That was a perfect amount of time. <laughs> so, Russell, thanks for your question. And if, if anyone, as I said, would like to hit us up with a question, send it through to ask at equitymates.com. Sorry, just to put a bow on that question, what are we saying? Follow the instructions, put your tax phone number in because you'll get taxed less. Yeah, do what they do it. Yeah, it's worth yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Thanks, Russell. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bryce. Well, let's take a quick break here. And then on the other side, we're going to hear your chat with your mentor for 2023, Henry Jennings. I haven't heard it yet, but I hear we're going to learn about some stocks, ResMed you talk about, lithium stocks you talk about. uh, And then I also hear we're going to learn five stocks for Christmas. Yes. Okay. Some stocking stuffers, if you will. Yes. (laughs) Great way to close out. So let's take a quick break and then jump into it with Henry. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome back to Equity Mates. Uh, we're about to listen to Bryce's chat with his mentor, Henry Jennings. We're about to hear about the five stocks for Christmas. 
Before then, two quick reminders. First of all, voting is open for the Equity Mates Awards. The link is in the show notes. Uh, jump in and celebrate the year that was and some of the guests that gave their time to come on the show uh, by voting in the Equity Mates Awards. And then secondly, if you are looking for the perfect stocking stuffer, the perfect gift this year to go alongside Henry's five stocks for Christmas, don't stress, just invest. Our latest book is available wherever books are sold. And if you want to get a bit nostalgic and you want to keep reading, get started investing. Our first book also available. Two great books. That's Christmas sorted. With that said, let's get to Bryce's session with Henry Jennings. So Henry, we are in our last session for 2023. Time has flown. We've both had overseas, <laughs> overseas holidays in between. But I went right back through my notes I went right back to the start of the year where we're in the AI bubble. So I'll just start by recapping for those that are just joining. Broadly speaking, the process that we spoke about centered around A, just reading a lot, understanding opportunities and catalysts in the market, understand what themes are playing out, taking lead from what is going on overseas and drawing that back to the opportunities that that might create here in Australia. Then you sort of spoke about the Amway approach, which is finding those companies that are the best in their category and looking for those top companies. And, you know, more often than not, those are the ones that continue to perform. And I think you said, leave the little ones. That's where the chat room guys go. Um, you said that management is incredibly important but then it's about putting stocks on the radar and then in capitals i've got then wait and you said you wait for an event you wait for an, a catalyst and the reason that you want to wait is for the price and those the event and the catalyst change price and that's really sort of the core that i took away from from your overall investment process and uh correct me if i'm wrong but uh that that's how we started this year and I, f I find that looking back on that, that has held pretty true for, for 2023. Particularly the one that I've been focusing on is the, is the weight part because I would often get so enthused by a lot of the experts that come in on the show and give stock recommendations and, <laughs> and it was easy to go and buy, you know, 500 bucks of this or a thousand bucks of that and build a lot of small positions rather than meaningfully wait. And I think further down in my notes, you said that you only really make between two to four or four to five big trades a year and make them meaningful. Is, do you agree with how I summarize the start of the year and, and your approach? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it is easy, as you say, Bryce, to get uh, sucked in to the latest and greatest fad, the uh, the company that's um, foremost in your mind because you've been speaking to someone about it. And I think, you know, it, it is like London buses. Uh, they are opportunities that just keep coming along. It's a question of getting on the right bus um, and being patient so that you do get on the right bus. And there is no rush because another opportunity will come along. There are, you know, every day there are stocks that move extraordinarily and if you're on that particular bus great but um certainly sometimes it's not worth chasing the bus that's for dogs they can chase buses but you know it, it is i think you know patience in investing is certainly part and parcel of it not getting sucked in and and waiting for opportunities and as i say catalysts you know certainly this year we've been swamped to some extent by opportunities 
uh, with many takeovers, many mergers and acquisitions. Um, not always that high profile, but a number of you know big Australian stocks have disappeared uh, from our market. There's been lots going on. Um, patience, I think, as they say, is a virtue, and I think it's been a frustrating 2023. Mm. We're pretty much back to where we started, mm. but within that, you know, we've had some highs and lows. Some sectors have done very well. Uh, some sectors have done pretty badly. Some of the the big names have suffered, and we've had some you know emerging themes. And of course, the one that's been overriding during the the last year still remains that AI theme, although it's proving not easy from an Australian investor point of view, unless you go overseas and buy Nvidia, etc., uh, to, to to really harness that in our market because we just don't have that unless you're looking at NASDAQ ETFs, et cetera. So mm. uh, that, that's been a little frustrating if you're purely focused on Australia. It's been a, we have gone nowhere, whereas the US market has, has had a pretty stunning rise in places very concentrated places, but um, that is frustrating to say the least. Yeah, it is just remarkable. I mean, it's kind kind of back to your point earlier in the year where those top quality, best in class leaders in field, they're the companies that you want to be looking at and buying. And there's probably no better example of that than the Fantastic Seven over in the States. Yeah, Amway. I think they've pumped out almost 50, the Nasdaq's up almost 50% or something ridiculous this year, 30% or thereabouts. And there's no reason to try and find the second tier cloud computing company. There's no reason to find the second tier search company. There's no reason to find the second tier e-commerce because the best are continuing to eat up anyone in their path and continuing to provide phenomenal shareholder returns and growth. So that has been really front of mind for me because you can often get caught up that Google's so big, where can it go from here? Amazon's so big, where can it go from here? But they've proven that they just keep growing and and not only growing but they they're so big that they crush the competition so trying to find you know the next google or the next amazon is really hard because they just crush the next one Mm. um and you know they they're these global behemoths uh their biggest issues this year really has been uh the size of them, a bit like, I guess, Standard Oil back in the 20s when that was split up. Now, the size of these things, especially from a European perspective, there's been regulations and and issues and new taxes and all that sort of thing, but that's really been the only threat to their dominance. There's no emerging, there's no second player really in the, I mean, Microsoft could say, well, Bing's a second player, but I mean, let's face it, it's not a, it's not a verb, is it? You don't Google you don't you don't bing something you google something and that's um you know that that's the way of things so uh, yeah they crush the competition and the, the amway approaching especially in the us with the tech sector um and those names that have just become embedded completely and utterly in our lives uh has been a magnificent theme the magnificent seven for um for 2023 everything else yeah, mm. get it. Mm. So then I took that sort of Amway approach and also patience, but then the catalyst, and there's been a few catalysts this year that I think have provided some actual buying opportunities, none so more than the Ozempic. So I think just to shed some light how I've approached uh, some of my investing this year outside of just the dollar cost average, and I think this has been one year that proves dollar cost averaging is a strategy that by and large most people should be pursuing because 
if you were to look at the headlines at the start of 2023, no one would have been predicting that the NASDAQ was going to be up 30%. I reckon most people were saying that we're in for a, a year uh, that we're going to see, well, a year of sideways. So you would have missed all that if you weren't. But I've taken the opportunity to get into just some of those good quality companies that were already in my portfolio, like Macquarie, for example, Google, as I said, Spotify has had a great um, result over the past quarter. So topped up some of those positions. But then things like ResMed. Now, I know we spoke about ResMed last time and uh, you weren't a massive fan, but I, I think about that catalyst approach that you talk about. And the catalyst here was actually that there was a, a significant fall in the price, as you would know. And for a quality company like that, it seemed like a too good an opportunity not to buy. And similarly, mineral resources down in line with the lithium price, it feels like that's a company that, you know, take an opportunity when you see it. So what are your thoughts on those two additions to the portfolio, the ResMed and Min Resources? I have to say, I have been a bit of a Debbie Downer for many, many years on ResMed. No matter which way you dress it up, they have a machine that blokes blows air up your nose. <laughs> yes. That, that is the, the, the simple core of their process. Now, the problem that they have, and it has been a problem for a long time for them, which they've obviously tried to address, is that many people who are diagnosed with uh, sleep apnea or, or, or some sort of condition that requires a CPAP machine, many people forget or just get turned off the whole process so in order to uh, negate that effect that people drop off as customers, they have to continually find new customers, mm. which is obviously expensive because you have to get diagnosed, you have to get referrals, you have to buy a machine, you have to get things set up, etc. The other problem is not only is they have to keep replacing customers, I mean, once you've bought the machine, to be honest, that's it. You know, there is no, you know, they, they will send you uh, an email saying, you know, buy a new filter, buy a new mask, all this sort of stuff, whispering in your ear. But the reality is that once you've bought your machine, you bought your mask and you're happy with your bombing run as a dam buster, then they don't get any more revenue out of you. And that is the, so they, the only way they can grow is to get more customers. Mm. Um, they do obviously do R&D to try and make it a bit sexier and they add apps and things like that, which is great. But, you know, from a, from a daily user point of view, they're not getting any more funds out of you. They've got to find new clients. The GLP-1 thing has obviously hit them hard because there is a sense that this is going to be a game changer. Everyone's going to instantly lose 15, 20% of their body weight and solve their sleep apnea or whatever sleep disorder problems they have. That is possibly not true and fallacious. And in the US, it will cost you around 12,000 US dollars a year for your Zempic, mm, which mm, is not ridiculous. exactly cheap. Mm. So there is a price where ResMed gets more attractive. And I think, you know, we've, we've gone from 35 bucks to 22 bucks, and we're now trying to find a base and trying to get back on track. But uh, it has been tough work for them. But I think, you know, I was always quite negative on them at sort of the mid-30s and got a little bit more keen on them in the, in the sort of mid-20s, and they've gone a bit further than I thought downwards. Mm, and I think there's mm. probably value there. Uh, the other one, mineral resources, it's complicated, isn't it? They've got they've got two, they've got three businesses there. They've got mining services, which tends to get forgotten. They've got iron ore, uh, which they're definitely you know that if you call Fortescue the third force in iron ore, which Fortescue always wanted to be and have become, uh, the mineral resources are the fourth force. Mm. And then of course there's the lithium side of things, which has been troublesome. And lithium itself has been 
extraordinarily negative in terms of uh, pricing of the underlying metal. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen massive, massive falls to the point where I think, you know, 18.5% of Pilbara, 556 million shares in Pilbara Minerals is shorted. Wow. And uh, and that is a proxy, really, for lithium. For, for lithium. Mm. You know, for you and I looking at, you know, we think the lithium price is going to go down. It's pretty hard to, uh, to short lithium carbonate in uh, in an Asian market. I, you know, maybe I can do it through a CFD provider, but far easier is just to go. Well, Pilbara is the biggest, one of the biggest producers. Let's just sell it. It's easy. Yeah, I guess though the the attractiveness of that is that it feels like it's all overblown. Now I don't, I'm not in the industry enough to really put a lot of concrete evidence behind that statement. But like the long term tailwind for lithium demand still feels like this is a small part in a bigger journey. I, I think that is true. I think it is a small part in a bigger journey. But there's one thing you have to bear in mind, I think, with lithium. It, it is a chemical. It is It is not a, a mining. I wrote this this morning in the newsletter. You know, with, with iron ore, there is no substitute. Right. You know, if, if you want to make steel, you need iron ore. If you want to make a car battery, you don't necessarily need lithium. The EV story, I think, has a long way to run, but technology is advancing quite quickly. You know, there's talk of sodium battery, batteries as well, bigger, heavier, bulkier for maybe other uses, but they're making breakthroughs all the time with chemistry. And this is chemistry at the, at the core of it. So I don't think the EV story has finished, and I don't think the lithium story is, is finished just yet. But, you know, you look at some of these explorers, that are in James Bay or, or wherever they are around the world, they will take years and years and years to get anything into production, by which time it may be that what they've got to come into production is not even useful because it has been overtaken by another chemical process, which is a far better one than the lithium-ion battery. Wow. I've got a couple of questions just to close out. Um, so what, what do you reckon has been your biggest lesson from... 2023 biggest lesson is one that i should have learned a long time ago is don't fall in love with the story mm. and that, that's really looking at the lithium thing listen to your gut uh i've got a big enough one of those so um <laughs> i should really listen to that uh more but certainly listen to your gut i mean something like lion town when when gina bid three bucks and was uh, was buying hoovering up stock um, I had quite a big position in, in the small cap portfolio that I run, the model portfolio that I run, and I sold pretty much you know, 80% of it. I should have sold all of it. So listen to your gut. Sometimes your gut is telling you things, uh, and don't be afraid to follow your instincts. You know, unfortunately, in the position I'm in, it's it's hard. You know, I, I have this fat and happy at Easter kind of theory where you know the market does well for the first three or four months of the year, and then by Easter, that's pretty much it for the year. Um, there is a tendency to go, you know what, I'll shut up shop and I'll come back. I'll go and play golf for six months. Unfortunately, being in the newsletter business, that would be a very dull newsletter and we would get very few new members on the basis of my T-strokes um, and, uh, and my putting ability for six months. So, yeah, but follow your instincts. If you know, And, and there's no shame in, uh, in being in cash, especially when you're being paid to be in cash mm. these days. So don't be stubborn, be flexible. Things do change, they do change quickly. And we have seen some big pivot points this year. So listen to those pivot points. You know, the, the Fed 
with a ceasefire, uh, some of the talk coming out of uh, you know the Federal Reserve with Jerome Powell uh, and the way it has um, pivoted that um, you know, the tech sector especially has been interesting. So listen to, listen to your gut and, and follow your instincts sometimes. Yeah, that's a good one. I think the don't fall in love with the story as well is pretty applicable outside of lithium. The two big ones, as we said, is the AI and the GLP-1. Like, you know, you saw what happened to NVIDIA um, and you know, then looking at what happened to Novo Nordisk. And if you kind of didn't get those trades right, you probably would have come in when, when they're very close to their respective tops. And whilst it's a great, great story, like from an investment point of view, remaining patient and actually understanding how this, these, both these stories play out longer term was probably a more appropriate response. Um, Second part, what are you bullish on that you were bearish on at the start of the year and vice versa? Um, I guess uh, to my bullishness on China at the beginning of the year, that reopening has been the iron ore price. Now that there was not a commentator in the world, I think, that uh, or analyst that had 130 bucks iron ore. Um, not even close, I don't think. Certainly something that came out of a conference I was in in London. Uh, a week or so ago, you know, there was not a single major investment house or broker that had $130 iron ore. So I, I, I was bullish on China, which has turned out to be um, wrong. But uh, iron ore has surprisingly surprised uh, on that respect. As far as um, things that I was bearish on that I was now bullish, I guess um, there was a tendency, I suspect, at the beginning of the year to fall in with the group think that the U.S., economy would uh, would suffer and as a result you know US equities would struggle uh, that again has turned out to not be the case although it has been very concentrated as we talked about earlier in this sort of the amway of stocks but uh, you know everyone has been predicting the recession in the US for the last two years I mm, think mm. Um, the resilience of the US consumer I think 12 billion US dollars spent on uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday over the weekend Thanksgiving <laughs> you know that that's record numbers again so uh, you know I think a lot of people including myself were bearish on the US economy but now it looks as if we should be bullish on the US economy but whether we should be contrary um, I don't know whether we should be uh, selling into the bullishness of the U.S. economy. I, I don't know. I guess that will pan out. But certainly I think a lot of people were bearish on the U.S. economy. And that, again, I was one of those. And that really hasn't played out as expected. Uh, similarly, I guess in the Australian economy, we were all quite bearish about the mortgage cliff, the level of debt, etc. And again, that hasn't played out. We saw that with the bank results, that the bad debt provisioning has not been anywhere near mm. uh, the sort of the fear that uh, the media was stoking. Similarly with, you know, something like Credit Corp, which you think would suffer and uh, would do well uh, in the US on the back of uh, increased loan problems. No, that's that's had problems of its own in terms of um, its business there. So, yeah. Well, to close out, do you have any stocks for us to put in our Christmas stocking? <laughs> <laughs> the Christmas stocking. Well, I, you know, I think um, some of the ones we've talked about, uh, the ResMeds. I, I still think, um, you know, I look at CSL, mm, mm. Um, although it has rallied off to two hundred and thirty bucks to sort of two fifty-seven. Every man and his dog is still bullish on CSL. Yeah, um, and it's it's one of those, you know, it's un-Australian not to. 
So I've never been a massive fan of CSL, especially after the Vifor deal. I thought that complicated the story, which was you know, nice, simple blood plasma, etc. And everyone says they understand CSL. I did some work on it, and I have no idea about CSL and the products that you know. It, it's anybody who looks at the, the actual business, they go, "Well, it's, they spin blood plasma and clever things." Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, but the clever things, God, how do you work out what the market is for some of these clever things? Mm. But you know, I think um, CSL should be higher by the end of um, 2024 than they are now. I think ResMed will be the same. Those are a couple. Um, I'm not sure about mineral resources. I'm not sure about the lithium sector, but I think Pilbara, if you're going to play that, the bounce in lithium, which there will be at some stage, Pilbara with 556 million shares shorted has got potential for short sharp. Um, I'd like to say there's some tech stocks here that I like. I quite like WiseTech. Mm-hmm. Um, they've just had their AGM and they've, uh, you know, guidance has been reaffirmed. It has been whacked big time. Um, they certainly have got, um, you know, Cargo One is the premier products, and I think WiseTech looks interesting as a as a tech player. And certainly, if the world doesn't fall into a hole, you know, global logistics is not getting any simpler. A lot of it's still paper based, um, and I think WiseTech are well placed to uh, to really help that uh, business go digital. Um, and uh, you know, I still like Genesis. We talked about that one, GMD, uh, and I think you know, there's probably some interesting ones in the biotech space as well. Um, one that we've had some success with this year is Neuron Pharmaceutical, which has done very well on the back of the sales of its uh, debut. Uh, that's the trade name for their drug, which treats uh, Rett syndrome and some other childhood diseases. And that's just becoming a bit of a cash cow with another drug in the pipeline. So there's a few things out there, but it's, it, I've got to say, it, it's, it's not easy to get enthused at the moment. There is a lot of apathy around in our market. Volumes mm-hmm. are low. Um, there's no consistent themes. Uh, I know that if we were talking in a year's time, we'd look back and go, oh, yeah, well, that was so obvious. Well, no, one's, no one can seem to get it right anyway, so. No, no, I'm, I'm amazed when, when you did your intro talking about what we talked about last year. I, I was, um, you know, I, I was not, not, not right, but I wasn't. He wasn't too far off. I didn't yeah. make a complete goose of myself. No, no, it all sort of held, it <laughs> held true. Which is always a positive, I find. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I think it just goes to show my sort of, you know, takeaways here. A, you, you you mentioned in the first episode as well. It's super hard to beat the market, and I think t- this year is a, a good example of that. Particularly in the yep. US, like if you're trying to pick stocks to beat the market, good on you if you manage to do that. And so, my my takeaway from that really is that just having a an, an investing strategy that gets you the market return is ninety nine percent all that you need. And then having some strategy, I think, really is important in times like this. Otherwise, you do find yourself just floating around and and, uh, getting influenced too much by what's going on in the news. I I think what's also been interesting this year is how older investors have embraced ETFs. Mm, mm. Um, And I guess millennials and those in their 20s and 30s have got a little bit burnt um, in ETFs, they were maybe sold the promise that they never go down. All we're going to do is buy an ETF, and it's the way to riches, which of course it isn't. Um, you've got to pick and choose wisely, as they say. Um, but you know, I, I said to someone on our Facebook group, you know, buying ETFs is a bit like buying vanilla ice cream. Was it, it's it's not very exciting. It's not rum and raisin. It's not some weird cookie dough with peanut brittle that's going to break a tooth. Um, it's it's safe. It's relatively dull. But you know what? 
It Banana works. ice cream is pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it works. It does work. Yeah. It does work. You yeah. don't need to be on, uh, you know, going through the whole city slickers thing no. with uh, sea bass. <laughs> well, Henry, it's been an absolute pleasure um, sitting down with you. I think we've had, you know, five or six sessions this year. So firstly, a massive thank you for you for taking the time. Uh, I know our audience really do enjoy listening to you. We actually have our equity mates awards open at the moment uh and you are nominated as one of the experts of the year so flick it to yeah flick it to your uh, flick it to your community to get some votes in that's nice (laughs) uh we'll let you know how that plays out but yeah look seriously i have um honestly learned a lot this year and uh and have enjoyed our conversations um, a reminder for the audience as well, if you want to hear more from Henry, head to marcustoday.com.au and uh, you'll be able to find more inf- information on the services they have, the newsletter that Henry writes. And um, yeah, we do really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Henry. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, happy to do it any time, as you know, Bryce. Thank you. Well, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Well, there you go, Ren. Stocks to put in the Christmas stocking this year. Interesting that he spent five minutes ripping on ResMed and then ResMed, it was one of the stocks to go in the stocking. So uh, anyway, Very that's, that's investing. <laughs> A quick reminder that voting for the awards are open. The link is in the show notes. We're looking for guest of the year, platform of the year, theme of the year and stock company of the, year. Of the yeah. Yeah, stock of the year. So get your votes in. But Ren, as always, it's great to chat stocks. We'll pick it up with Adam tomorrow for the final of the buy, hold and sell. And then on Thursday, we've got Ask and Advisor with Yelena Konka. So looking forward to it. Can't wait. You have been listening to an Equity Mates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equity Mates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.